0: This is the Roaring Often Podcast, coming to you for more than seven years now, because this is week two of our seven-year anniversary, and uh, even after seven years, he's still not sick and tired of me. Here's my co-host, Dave.
1: I mean... No, you're not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <sighs> okay. You see, listeners, okay. what I have
0: to live with. This is...
1: <laughs> I try. <laughs> it is indeed part two of our seven-year anniversary topic, um, we're we're back with with more John Mertic from the Linux Foundation, um, and in this episode, we're going to chat a little bit around um, some of the social sort of construct around open source and how that evolves. Uh, we're also going to talk briefly about mainframes and what it looks like when you get gifted a mainframe. I, uh, I thought that was a particularly fun conversation, and uh, also. Talk a little bit about uh, open source software in the moving picture industry with the Academy Software Foundation and the work that's happening there. So some really interesting stuff. Unless you have anything else, I think we should get to
0: it. Uh, No, John's the interesting person this episode. Even despite you, I still think John's the one who takes uh, all the credit for this episode again. So let's get at it.
1: Let's do it. So welcome back, uh, John. It's good to to have you here once more. Um, we were we were chatting about um, the uh, the LF Energy Group, and uh, you mentioned um, not invented here syndrome, and uh, as being sort of one of the things that is, is often a real challenge for um for for organizations and i was going to say that i think uh not invented here or nih as it's sometimes abbreviated to and shiny object syndrome those are the two (laughs) things that i think uh often do way more damage than than people uh give them credit like Mm -hmm. nih is is definitely the like oh i really like you know what project x does but it doesn't quite do it the way that i want to do it so i'm going to build an entire new project and people don't even don't even think about reaching out and talking to maintainers or talking to committers and contributors to see if there's any interest in in moving stuff in a in a slightly different direction or whatever it might be but the other thing that i see is um is shiny what i call shiny object syndrome which is an organizations spin something up puts all of their power heart and soul into it and then it sort of like it bursts onto the scene and then literally fades away as they then go and spin up something else completely different and go in a yeah. different direction spin another thing up and one of the things i've been kind of really quite in awe of the linux foundation is that i think it provides a level of um like guidance and stability that really prevents a lot of that especially the shiny object syndrome that otherwise you know i could see in a very different world things like um you know if if the lf energy um project was was spun up under a different sort of guise or in a different way you'd see all of these different sort of projects and initiatives like fire up and then they'd sort of fade away as as no one could agree and no one could get together and and then other standards would kind of fire up and you know cue the xkcd of now we have 16 competing standards mm-hmm. um, I, I think it it's sort of i think the the work that the linux foundation does around just that sort of alignment between and sort of stability of of kind of thought and process and like keeping people aligned and working together is actually one of the most impressive things about the, the organization as a whole. And this was brought by the person with two shiny objects in the background, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I nev- never said I didn't have shiny objects yes, in I just said, yes. I'm not a fan of it.
2: <laughs> you know, and I also think it, it, it's somewhat interesting. So you're exactly right. Um, and I, and I really, I think we all at LF really appreciate, um, you know, folks like you that sort of look at the role we have in here because we we our biggest goal is to make these technologies and projects successful. And we 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 put the maintainer first, we put the developer first, we put those community members first, because they're frankly doing all the hard work out there. Um, we do all we, we I think I've said on the show before we joke and we call ourselves the janitors of open source <laughs> because we just do all of the stuff in the background that makes it so all they have to worry about is building code. Um, which is you know it, which is kind of a it, you know, it's a fabulous thing that we can help do for these communities. The one thing that I'm I'm I am noticing out there, um, mm. which is somewhat I think is a a touch of a kind of an opposing force that maybe is happening between the natural thing of you know new object not invented here, having to start my own project, yada yada yada. Mm. Those is maintainer burnout, which mm. is hitting. We've seen hitting really really hard and. I think it's always been there. I think yeah. there we're, we're kind of in this COVID rebound effect happening, where we saw so much of a flurry of open source activities when we were all locked in our house for months and we couldn't do anything, and so we all decided let's start an open source project. I guess <laughs> um, you know we, we all do that. Um, or companies sort of look, we're looking through portfolios and saying, hey, maybe we need to be open sourcing these things. Um, You know, driving it on our own doesn't make a ton of sense. So, but what we're seeing with a lot of these maintainers, and I've read countless blog posts about this, of you know, people being demanding in pull requests, you know, opening up issues, (laughs) getting mad at maintainers because they're not releasing fixes fast enough, like making all these, and and there's there's maintainers that are just kind of like you know, throw their hands up and say, you know what, I'm not doing it anymore. And and even even when you don't see sort of that hostility, I still see within project, and I see it within even a lot of our projects that will come to me Mm -hmm. and say, "We need more resources. Like we don't have enough maintainers to help drive this forward." And it's an interesting dilemma. And because I mean, I'm sure you guys are on open source projects, and you're probably hearing a lot of the same thing. I would imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean the the. I think the the hostility thing, and like people demanding fixes or demanding changes or that sort of thing to me that's a bit of a symptom of just how um just how widely adopted open source has become at this point that a lot of people that don't really understand where open source came from, why the concepts of open source even exist and and what open source means to a lot of people. Like they just see it as, oh great, there's this thing out there that I can grab for free. Mm-hmm. And like there's a whole bunch of innovation there and <clears throat> they think about it in 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 a way like very much like they think about, you know, any form of any form of software, be it proprietary or, or anything else. And they, they don't really understand, open source as a, as, as sort of a a movement almost. And I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's some of it I think is on the open source community to, to find a way to educate those individuals, um, to get them to a point where they can understand like that that's not really the way that open source works i mean i, I don't really like the uh PRs are welcome uh closed <laughs> sort of uh, commentary um, we have a comment box
2: over here you're happy to put all the papers in there but there will be ones that have been there for 10 years with it so go for it
1: exactly exactly <laughs> so like I, I i do think there's an element of of education to this Almost next generation of open source consumers that maybe don't, you know, don't have a lot of the background, don't have a lot of the knowledge um, that perhaps consumers of open source in previous um, generations would have been far more familiar with, because it was far more mm-hmm. niche. You need mm-hmm. it, open source was sort of, you know, if you want to go back a yeah. really far way, open source was for hippies and and for. Uh, and for people that that, that sort of um, were working out of their bedroom or whatever it might be, whatever the terrible stereotypes of days gone by were, um, but open source is very much you know front and center of of corporate business. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. very much in the boardroom. It's very much in driving very significant revenues for for companies and organizations. And I think that has just brought a lot of new faces and new people to open source that, as I say, don't really understand some of the concepts behind it. But that's also a problem because you just said
0: people need to be educated to know that it doesn't work like this. Well, for a lot of people, it's worked brilliantly like this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for most consumers of open source, this is beautiful. I don't want this to change. It's the, the, the maintainers that are perhaps disillusioned. They came from this world of sharing, give and take, and it's all take and no give. And at some point, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be the same way. I'd say you yeah. do all this hard work and you you just take it for free. You can live with that. And then you start making demands as well. Something's got to give somewhere. But the mm-hmm. education part is going to be a hard one because, as I said, it's working yeah. brilliantly for the majority of people because the majority is consuming.
2: They get free software yeah. and it works and, you know, yeah. hooray, you know? Yeah. Now the other half of it, as I start to look at, because I, I think I think always with tensions, there's there's things on both sides that I think and mm. that can be worked on. And I definitely agree. Um, you know, being able to have you know stronger sort of social contracts of mm. how to contribute, how to take part in an open source project, things like that are important. But this is something in kind of a philosophy I started to see, and, and I saw it in a couple um, of our projects in the motion picture industry. And mm. one of the things that I sort of noted was, I looked at some of the maintainers of those projects and they're Academy Award winners. Now, if, and color scientists. Now, wow. what if, imagine I saw something in a, and I'm not picking on any particular project here, but like hmm. I saw something I'd want to contribute to one of these projects, and I realize all of the maintainers are just bloody geniuses. <laughs> Wouldn't you be a little bit, a little bit intimidated by that? Like, mm. wouldn't you think, where do I fit into all of this? Mm, I would you know, be. the internet isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, John, if, like, you had a project, like, I wouldn't want to contribute. I mean, my code's horrible, <laughs> but I'd be like, I, I wouldn't want to show that to you, for God's sake, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I, I do also wonder, you know, how, how open source, and this is something I've worked with a lot of open source projects, is kind of take, like, an mm. introspective view. Like, companies run into the same problem, too, where they, like, they set their website navigation up according to, like, how their internal hierarchy works. Like, you've seen this before, I imagine, mm. right? Like You could just look at, like, the drop-down menus and the categories, and they're like, oh, there must be a department for that, 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 and that, because that's how they organized it. Um, but it's not thought from the perspective of somebody coming into it who, to your point, you know, Dave, they may never have done too much with open source, so they don't know how to get involved with it. Um, two, they might look at this list of maintainers and people involved and be like, "Jeez, these are are geniuses. I don't have anywhere I can help here at all." Um, and then there's three, just like you said, understanding a bit of like the social contracts and the the pieces in there. Um, it, it's it's really, really, really hard uh, for a, a contributor to come in and not have some degree of intimidation. Like I I can imagine there's like a whole bunch of folks that have like are sitting there in the GitHub pull request screen, ready to hit, you know, issue pull request and they just can't do it because mm. they just think to themselves, I can't do this. Like these people are gonna laugh me out of here. Um, And, and so I, I do wonder if that's part of it. And again, I don't put that on the maintainers as they mm. like are sitting in some sort of Thrones or something and saying people bring me my grapes or whatever, right? I don't think that's the case at all, Um, but I do, I do sense that there's like, there's a visible tension that you have there. And then there's sort of like this other level of social fitting in with, imagine also with us as technologists, which are not well uh, people in jumping into different social circles very comfortably. Uh, You know, it's, it's a bit of a challenge and so I think there's a lot of education and stuff that probably can happen on yeah. a number of fronts that could potentially help that along. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting. I think we're I think to your point, Dave, because of the mainstream that it's hitting, we're at a point where we're, we're tackling problems we didn't have yeah. when it was like 10 of our buddies that we knew because we saw them at like two conferences a year and we yeah. you know we're on IRC and we're we're making fun of the same episodes of the Simpsons and all of that <laughs> together right <laughs> um yeah. and now when you're having sort of these broader circles and you have different cultures and people coming in there's just there's just seen there's there's seen and unseen stuff that that are popping in um which is actually why I think as we've seen DNI and uh, being ta- tackled more in open source, I think that's going to be a huge component to this because there's people coming from different cultural backgrounds, you know, not just races and genders, but different mm. world, different, you know, people with different, you know, um, you know, disabilities and things like that coming in there, um, life experiences, yep. all of that. And I-, I do wonder if there's an underlying, like there's, there's what we see as the outcome of it of, person thinking bugs should have been fixed two months ago and yelling at maintainer and maintainer of, I'm dying, I'm overworked from these, I can't do anymore, I need a vacation. Um, and then the unseen of, like, all of, like, the social stuff that's around it that's um, hard to wrestle with. Plus, we're also coming out of being locked down; we have to talk to people again and, for some yeah, of us, that's, that's, scary. that's, that's kind of tough. It's scary. I mean, you all are cool, yeah. but... Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you've had eight years to get to know us. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, we,
2: we, were, we were pre-COVID, so it's okay. We've, we've been formally introduced, yeah.
1: Exactly. I mean, it, the, there's a reason why... Um, you mentioned D&I. Uh, there's a reason why usually there's uh, there's a B component of that, like diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm-hmm. And like that, to me, goes back to your comments around like people... Essentially, not feeling that they belong in that community. That, like, how can I? How could I submit this PR? I'll just get laughed out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people not feeling that they they're part of that. Which is, I think, for me, a lot of it still goes back to that, as you said, that that education piece of like, like, it's cool. Like, just submit it. Like, no one will laugh. No one will. Uh, no one. Will These really people are just head. as scared of you yeah. as
2: you are of them. Like, that's yeah. the, That's the funny thing about it. You
1: know. Yeah, and also the the fact that. They love to they love to see like code contributions, code recommendations, suggestions, fixes, you know, whatever it somebody might be. Somebody talking
2: about the project that even surprises them, you know. Just somebody yeah. saying, Oh wow, somebody's using this and I don't know who they are. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's easy to say, guys, but when I found
0: a bug, I usually open a support ticket or whatever they have on a forum and put my little piece of code in there. I wouldn't be seen dead doing a pull request
2: look at you going all over the school on us john i i apologize oh. <laughs> i only send over patch files to me email me lists yourself yeah
1: there you go that's the way it's done
2: yeah i was
1: kidding. Uh, that's what i did yeah I, I think there's there's also an element of i if, if you think about the the way that um these things evolve like i was actually was talking to someone earlier about um like change management and like change management um can be a very very stuffy very dull very sort of um boring concept for a lot of people and like oh change management that's the that's the sort of thing that that people talk about in in sort of giant you know hundred thousand people organizations uh, when they're trying to decide what color they want to change their logo to or whatever it might be um but you know actually i think change management is one of those things that um when you distill it down is mainly about communication first and foremost mm-hmm. and making sure you have a, a common understanding between people and you have a way to communicate why things are changing and, and why you want them to change and And how you get people on board and get them engaged with with what it is that you're doing but there's also there's also an element of this that's you know the the world is changing open source is changing adoption of open source is changing and therefore the the way that we the way that we think about it the way that we communicate it the way that we like Think about the way that open source influences our our lives and our careers also has to change. I think it's this is this is part of this whole puzzle about how we how we figure out how this all kind of how this all gels together for the long term.
2: Yeah, I you know we are what a time to be alive in open source and just in general, right? And uh, you know I, I think. You know, we're still wrestling with a lot of these things, I and mean, we've had so many projects that we've seen that have had a high degree of success, but, you know, I think even within them, you talk to the right people and they say, boy, there's things we need to fix in here. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's nobody's house that's completely in order. And it's, it's a hard thing. I think I think we're all still sort of figuring it out to a degree. I think the biggest thing that we have to be conscientious of on both sides is empathy you know, we have mm-hmm. to recognize there are some amazing, amazing smart people out there that are driving these projects. They're doing it out of a labor of love. I mean, many of them are employed for their job to do it. But I mean, still, um, you know, there it's one part technical. and That's another part, you know, getting demands from everyone, yeah. uh, which maybe is not necessarily the thing they signed up for. And then there's the other part of, you know, people out there that are trying to take tech these technologies and do cool things with them. And, you know wanting to collaborate in these communities and and I think we're all still, you know, as much as as much as I came back before, you know, I could say I've seen everything in open source, but I still haven't, and I probably never will. And I I think it's just because it's so evolving and there's so many unique situations out there. But I think if we all come from the perspective of empathy and understanding where people are coming from and communicating at that level when i see that happen the outcomes are so much stronger yeah
1: yeah makes perfect sense yeah a lot of work to do but uh we'll uh, we'll work on it together for sure
2: yes we will yes we will cool
1: well um Perhaps a, a bit of a, a pivot from the the social construct of open source. Um, we went really to, deep uh, there. Oh. We did, but it was fun. Um, yeah. But like, let's. One of the other projects that you're involved in is uh, is is the Open Mainframe Project. And apologies for continuing to recycle the same joke that I always use, but essentially, like mainframes and cockroaches will outlast us all. So uh, the the Open Mainframe Project is a good project to be involved in.
2: You're um, not wrong, but, by the way. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, but
1: but I I saw that um, relatively recently the the um, Open Mainframe project was actually donated a mainframe, which was just which is mind blowing to me. What's it, that all about?
2: It is, you know. I've been with this project seven years, and since day one, the question I get from every single person in the community is, "Oh wow, this mainframe you talk about is really cool. How can I get my hands on to?" try my code out on it. And mm-hmm. there just really wasn't great ways. I mean, there is there was little spot instances of places where this was made possible. Um, mm-hmm. IBM for still to this day has a Linux One Community Cloud if you want to you know, try out Linux on a mainframe environment, but that doesn't yeah. cover ZOS or different operating systems um, that are targeting the hardware. There's a, a kind of tight limit of, of things you can do within there. Um, And, you know, we've had different companies that, you know, from time to time have, you know, given resources we've had, you know, Viacom Infinity gave us some resources for a number of our projects, uh, Marist, um, a number of others. But I think the one thing we've always been after is how can we get hardware for this community and not just the open mainframe community, but open source in general to use and to build from and to kind of help support because, it's 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 what holds it back. It's what holds back more development. It holds back some of our projects from growing. And, you know, it holds back a lot of open source projects that would just really like to learn to support it because it has some unique things to it. I mean, not just, you know, edn and Epsodig but, you know, just a degree of security and other things that, that come into play that are really unique and they're very cool what the platform does, but there's never been a way for open source projects to just easily get to it. Like I said, there's always been little pockets. If you know the right person at the right time, you knock at the right number of times in the door, you can get a little bit of a time on it, um, but but never at this sort of scale. So we are absolutely beyond thrilled to be able um, to have provided to this her community. Um, it's really thanks to uh, Broadcom Mainframe Software, um, who actually mm-hmm. donated the hardware to us, um, and uh, Marist College, who's going to be doing, it's going to be in their data center in Poughkeepsie, New York. And um, on top of that, uh, yep, that's that's our little friend over there, um, <laughs> all tucked in nicely for the winter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the work of Viacom of Infinity, who has been really a great, um, they're not only open to me for a project member, but they are also have been helping guide us through this process because uh, it's not easy to get a mainframe. Like, there's a lot of a lot of considerations that you have to come into play of understanding a lot of the nuances of this hardware. But they were all great partners along the way, and our goal is to get this thing flipped on in 2023. Um, we have some fundraising we need to do. Um, so, if you're a company that cares about mainframe, we have a project that you could become a <laughs> member of that could help fund get this thing on. Um, yep. but this is this is sort of where we're at. We're hoping to get it on. Um, get get this thing turned on in 2023 and really start seeing a lot more open source being driven um, and supported on the mainframe.
1: Fantastic. I love the fact that the, the tweet talks about uh, you finally having a mainframe for you to hug. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We've been waiting a long time. I I really just, yeah, just to hug it. The things are big, yeah. though. You have to have pretty good sized arms to get around it, though. I mean,
1: yeah. Like, I, I can imagine like a group hug might be a thing. Like, you could have a whole yeah. bunch of people standing around at uh, around sort of the outside of it and giving like a hug. Like a circle together.
2: sort of thing. We're all holding it. Yeah. The, yeah. Kind of yeah, surrounding exactly. it so the mainframe doesn't get away. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not that it, it, it might it might look like some kind of uh geek tech ritual i suppose that's the only risk <laughs> yeah. yeah you'll have
2: that you'll have that yeah,
1: it's all good yeah. but um it's that's really cool like uh, congratulations on on being being able to to arrange that and uh, yeah thank you to all the organizations that that made it happen that's uh it's amazing to see
2: Absolutely, and we're excited to get this on, get this uh, turned on for everyone here, Um, but if you're interested, if you're a company out there that likes mainframes and cares about mainframes and open source, get a hold of us, um, because we are looking for members to help us get the funding to turn these on, because even with a donated mainframe, these things are not cheap to operate. Mm Yeah, yeah. And with yeah, all the I- discounted rates and all the things that we can get, we—I mean—we have companies that are donating software and all sorts of things. But even on top of all that, um, it, these things are not cheap to operate. So, um, but uh, we're fortunate to have some good companies, and we're, we're seeing a bunch more. that are going to come in and, and help out. So, be a part of that. My last—that's my last sales pitch. We can continue. <laughs>
1: Oh well, maybe, maybe we can find one more sales pitch because there's there's another area that I'd I'd love to dig into just a little bit, and I think we we only really discovered this. Your know, John and I only really discovered this last year, I think, when uh, when we were all chatting, John, which is the the Academy Software Foundation um, mm-hmm. is is sort of the world of of open source in the motion picture industry for visual and special effects, and uh, we sort of we like it that was brand new to us last year when we were chatting and I know we we chatted about it a little bit then but like what's been going on what's been uh, what's been happening in that space
2: so we have seen a, a number of new sort of collaborative efforts that have came together this year so many of the early projects that were in the academy software foundation were ones that were sort of already in the ecosystem Mm. But really, kind of gravitated into the Academy Software Foundation because they needed a neutral home. So, you know, mm. if you look at a, a, a project like OpenEXR, um, you know, that came from Disney, OpenVDB came from DreamWorks, OpenQ um, from uh, Sony, OpenColor, um, you know, imi- uh, Sony ImageWorks and Autodesk, uh, Material X came from Lucasfilm. You know, a lot of those were already existing projects, but they were sort of running into like that glass ceiling that I was talking yeah. about earlier. Where they needed to have a way for more of the industry to collaborate, um, not I guess they weren't having the licensing as much. These projects were used a ton, but they didn't have the easiest ways to collaborate. You know that you often see, and you often see this because of you know, corporate-led governance. Um, you know it can just be really challenging to get you know people who aren't in your companies contributing. So. Those were a lot of our first projects, and then as this group really has started to get together, it's begin to look around and seeing okay, where are gaps out there that we have that we could collectively come together and work on? One of the first ones in this space um, was around high quality production grade assets. So if you like, if you look at the video, the the assets on there, um, mm. getting getting quality assets of that caliber to do testing and research on is hard like Mm. because so much of that is tied up in IP and and other concerns like that. Um, It was a huge deal for this industry a few years ago when Disney released um, a bunch of the scenes from Ohana um, out there for a similar purpose. And so this industry came together and said, could we provide a repository for some of these high quality production grade assets? So, like, you know, one is some of our open source projects that you do testing, they actually have assets to test against that aren't, mm. you know, a couple of polygons or something kind of silly. <laughs> I mean, they're really true movie scenes or of mm. that caliber. Um, and then three, and also just being able to use, in, you know, research contexts and, and things of that nature. So uh, that was a working group that formed that kind of explored what a project could look like and then it came together under um, a project called the Digital Production um, Examples Library or what is called D.Pole for short, um, which we we joke about of saying, you know, je m'appelle D.Pel um, for those <laughs> of a French um, origin there. Um, but that's a project that came together where we've had contributions from Animalogic, we've had uh, contributions from ASC um, and a number of other organizations that are stepping up there and saying, hey, we're just gonna put our assets in here um, the community actually worked together to help build a license that matches um, the intent of how to use these assets, because um, there really wasn't a great license out there that really helped capture what the expectations were from a consumer standpoint. So the foundation came together with all of the, you know, the big um, legal groups within the um, the industry to come up with that, and that's um, the ASWf Digital um, Assets License. You can find it on our website. You can take a look at that. Um, but that was one huge thing. So that's one collaboration that's came together. Mm. A second one was um, one of the big workflows in um, filmmaking and, and visual effects making is sort of like a review and approval process yeah. of how to help manage, you know, a number of those pieces. And so group kind of got together and it recognized that this is an area where we could use an open source solution in. And, you know, we have seen um, Autodesk, we've seen d Um, and there's one other company that is completely blowing my mind here that I would have to look up. And if I don't mention them, I'm going to seem like a real total jerk here. So let me <laughs> look this up. We might This, this might be an area we want to do editing.
0: No, just show a bit more of the movie reel.
2: Yeah, so show the show the movie real. What John actually does the research he should have yeah. done beforehand. I mean,
0: this is just a hint to all our listeners that aren't on YouTube yet. There's some pretty pictures on YouTube. You should watch it.
2: <laughs> watch watch the pictures. Pay attention to the pretty pictures. Um, yeah. Sony Pictures. Sorry, why didn't I say? Yeah. So DNEG, Autodesk, and Sony Pictures all came together mm. and contributed either products or tools that they had internally mm. to help build this um, larger, you know, project which is going to be focused on, you know, uh, you know, review uh, cycles and being able to do, you know, review and approval um, workflows, which, again, that's going to tie into a lot of our other projects as well. So it's not kind of like an own, its own thing. But those projects that code they're contributing is going to be a lot of the central pieces um, to solving that puzzle. So and, and we're starting to see the sort of other exploration happening across the foundation of is there is there opportunities like we, we've seen that bringing these projects that we've had together have made them grow substantially, you know, both yeah. from lines of code, committer diversity, um, you know, some of them had only before they came here, they might have had like one release in the last two years. And they'll come into here and they'll have a couple of releases a year. Um, so you're just seeing everything is starting to move up with them. And they've been able to look at other areas like, well, why don't we come together and find a solution around here? You know, let's bring us all together. Let's spec out what a project could look like and let's get some seed code and start building it. And um, DPoL and Open Review Initiative are really the first two in that path. And I would anticipate this project's going to have more and more of those because this industry is just really starting to get wrapped around this ideas of what can happen when you collaborate, Um, which which is kind of cool.
1: It it actually... I I was only thinking about this as you... As you were talking about it but it it almost feels like the linux foundation's really gone through a lot of evolution in the last sort of few years the last maybe three or four years you know the things like the like the energy industry and the lf energy project and um <clears throat> the uh the academy software um foundation and the, the whole kind of motion picture industries like these are not how can i put this like these are not industries that are typically short of cash should we say like Mm -hmm. the if you go you know go back 10 years and ask people you know why people why ask sort of a general audience like why people would use open source and i bet you at least 50 percent of people would say oh because it's cheap and free and like i don't need to spend any money and like we're talking about like the the you know entire energy energy industry is getting involved in open source we're talking about you know the motion picture industry getting involved in open source and like this is not about oh it's cheap and free and you know i can i can get access to 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 free software this is about like real collaboration the power of community and sort of and working together um for for sort of Something that's that's really fundamentally changing the way that these these organizations um and these like sets of of folks kind of work together. It's very, very cool.
2: It is. You know, and, and we're just starting to see this across, I mean, the automotive industry was an early one with mm. automotive grade Linux. I mean, they got together and said, we realize the way we compete is not on horsepower, it's on you know all of the lights and whistles and infotainment and how my phone mm-hmm. plugs in, all those sorts of stuff, like all of those driver convenience features. And they all realized we're not software companies. And at the time they were licensing software from someone else and they weren't really thrilled with it. And they said, why don't we just, let's all work together and solve this problem ourselves. Because mm-hmm. if we all have this as a great base that we can work from, we can kind of control a little bit of our own destiny to some degree, but then we can also get all of the rest of our ecosystem aligned and supportive of this so that it just it makes it easier for us to be business. I mean, I think, I think that's a little bit of the mindset that people have really started to flip around with open source. It's, yes, it's free, you know, as in freedom, not as in beer, um, per se, um, unless you go to the right parties. But... Um, it's it's more that we're starting to see people see open source as a way of I can define an ecosystem around this. Like I have a cool technology. I could run with it and do pretty well for myself. Or I could pivot and build an ecosystem around it and get this entire industry to say this is what we're building and supporting. I'm giving a lot of my potential revenue away with it. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Like you're giving away IP, you're giving away a lot out there. But the idea is that you're seating yourself at the beginning and you're able to sort of first and foremost advantage, yes, but I think you're you're in a position where you can start showcasing and building from that um and showcasing yourself as sort of a leader within there. Like this is, you know, we've talked about Zoe in past years in the open mainframe project, and that is the mm-hmm. exact story of Zoe. You know, I, I you know I've talked with you know Rocket and IBM and, and Broadcom about this extensively, and they've all told me it's like the pieces we developed and contributed to it, we could have made products out of our own with this. Like they, they were they were good enough that they were their own products, and we could have took them to market. We could have done pretty good for ourselves, but we saw that there was a bigger picture out there, and there was a bigger need in this industry, and there was a bigger opportunity, and we could only solve it by working together. And it was bigger than any of us, and all of our solutions complemented each other so well that this could be the base that the industry works off of. And that's that's the model and that's the mindset, you know, that you see at the macro level. And you even just see it like at the micro level. So mm. behind me, you'll see sits um a good old Macintosh two SI. Yep. Yeah. So, um, great computer and, from. And an
1: original before. iMac. <laughs> and an original
2: iMac there. Um, and another original iMac, but let's pay attention to the 2Si yeah, for now. a good one. <laughs> um, so, 1990, those came out with SCSI hard drives.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Can you find a new SCSI hard drive anymore?
0: No, Landfill nope. somewhere. <laughs>
2: and if if it's lucky to be even working, right? Sure so, working. Like, so yeah, so a 20-year-old drives if you're lucky to be working, and what you have started to see is you see technology say, well, how can we replace those with SD cards? And you've seen a number exactly, of different yeah. source projects that have came together. Blue SCSI is one. Um, what I'm using that with a, a project called Raw SCSI, which is mm. used as a Raspberry Pi, um, uh, and then it has sort of like a header board that sits on top of it, and is able to basically emulate, you know, a SCSI drive on the back of it. One cool thing is it's also able to bridge networking as well because they made SCSI Ethernet adapters um, back in those days. So you're able to emulate one of those. So you can actually hook it up to Wi-Fi, which is kind of slick. But it's 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 sort of what we've started to see. You know, anybody could have went and said, okay, I'm going to take this. I'm going to build a commercial solution. I'm going to go to town on it. But like this matters to like an enthusiast groups of people that are really passionate probably put way too much money into these computers, but you know what, they're really <laughs> kind of cool. Um, but they realized there's a bigger value in having a larger community that comes together to collaborate on this. And there's a larger value of building an ecosystem around this, you know, such that you know, not just is it good for Apple Macintosh for the Macs of those days, but it's good for the Amigas, it's good for you know synthesizer boards, good for anybody in those areas. And so you just see sort of these communities and people that are coming together. And so, you know, that's the spirit of it. You know, it's yes, one half of it's free, although those Ross guys aren't cheap. You gotta buy them unless you're like really <laughs> good at soldering and you're making your own boards, and I suck at it. But um it's the the bigger picture is. There's an ecosystem now around SCSI emulation, um, and people are all tacking it together, and they're realizing all of the weird quirks that were with those machines that you know people had to work around and stuff like that. So, it, it's an interesting thing, I guess. You're seeing it both ends of the spectrum, um, yeah. which is which has really been fascinating.
1: Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of there's a uh, there's a YouTube channel um, RMC. Um, Retro Man Cave where, where they they do a whole bunch of uh of kind of system restorations and stuff like that and um, the Commodore Amiga and its various generations of it are a, a particular soft spot of mine and they've done a lot of stuff with um SD card um for um Scuzzy emulation and and mm-hmm. things like that so it's it's it is one of those areas where um I don't think like there are so many areas that like people just won't be able to experience some of this like I guess vintage computing unless we find ways to to keep some of it alive in some way, shape, or form and it's it's very cool to see uh to see people kind of taking part in that and and being involved and i I love the fact that there's a there's an open source component to it as well it's awesome.
2: mm-hmm. it is it is and it's building an ecosystem like it's probably bringing people into that that may never have had an interest because they would have had one of those machines that they found in their grandparents' house when they were cleaning it out after they passed away and they're like, mm. what the hell do I do with this And now yeah. there's a whole community of people that, that can plug into that and, and take advantage and leverage it and I think that that just becomes really fascinating and yeah so it's, it's just it's interesting to see it's it's like you said it's more than just free. it's yeah. the ecosystem that is being built and the people that have the forethought of saying here's a technology. They can enable this much bigger thing, and that's that's what the fun is.
1: Cool, good stuff. Well, thank you once again for joining on our joining us on our, our pair of anniversary episodes celebrating um, moving to eight years of the the Roaring Elephant podcast. But um, as we as we wrap up, is there anything else that we've missed? Is there anything else that you you'd love to to tell our audience about?
2: Um, I should have told you guys that's this, this is in the front end of the here, but I'm actually in the process of writing a book on open source. Oh, I know, I know. I got, I snuck that in there, didn't I? Um, no, <laughs> You working, did, you
1: did. I Yes,
2: yes, yes, yes. So the art of open source, um, you know, I'm working on right now as we speak, I'm about halfway through releasing it. It should come out, um, in, uh you know, probably mid-2023, but Mm -hmm. it's taking a lot of what I have seen open source projects go through, everything from the what is open source to just guiding you through the entire life cycle of a project from a crash course on licensing with me being very clear that I'm not a lawyer and so you shouldn't listen to anything. (laughs) you Know to just you know community building to you know how to help contributors become maintainers to resolving conflict to helping your organization, and then even on the back end of how do I shut down this project? Like, how do I you know what 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 is what does the end look like? Um, so I, I'm really excited, um, you know, to be to be doing this. Um, I was uh I was approached by um who was I approached by now? Um, oh, gosh. My date, I, I'm getting old here and I can't remember anything. Um, <laughs> sorry, I I'm, so I'm approached by Pack Publishing. I was drawing mm. a, brain, a thing around this and I was really excited to take on this project. So look for that um, next year. And uh, other than that, that's kind of most probably the most exciting thing I have going on.
1: Fantastic. Well, we will definitely get you back on when... Uh, when book release time is is coming up and uh we'll perhaps get a bit of a a session to to chat through uh how it all landed up what the experience was like writing it and uh talk a little bit about the book to uh to our audience so that if if that sounds good to you i'd I'd love to chat through it
2: absolutely i would be thrilled to i just got to finish writing this darn thing Um, (laughs) but um but no, no, I would love to. I'm, I'm hoping this can be a really good tool for a lot of um, folks out there that are just trying to find their way through this and uh, can maybe use this book as a bit of a guidepost.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you once again so much for your time, John. Really appreciate it. It's always fascinating chatting with you. And uh, yeah, once again, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for welcoming me back to the show. These are always fun and rambling conversations, which <laughs> I, I appreciate the most. Um, and you all are just doing an amazing job with this show. And I could to you eight years of doing a podcast. I don't, I, I probably would have given up after six months. So I mean, I, I give it all to you for for driving forward and keeping it going for eight years.
1: I mean, I, I don't think we thought we'd get six episodes, let alone six months. So yeah, it's a bit of a
2: surprise to us as well. <laughs> Every day you think, we still have a podcast? How did this happen, you know?
1: I know. No, you, you all are
2: doing a great job with it, which is exactly why. You have a, a great fan base and um, you, you, you all are doing amazing out there. So kudos to you all. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, John. Really
1: appreciate it. Well, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for chatting with us and uh, we'll speak to you soon. And that, I believe, is all the time we have today. Thank you so much, John, for joining us once again. Um, It's always a pleasure. It's always an amazing um, sort of time that we spend chatting through a variety of topics. And uh, John has a a book coming out uh, next year in uh, 2023. So we'll stay uh, stay tuned for that. And hopefully we'll get him on more than once a year. And uh, we'll have him... (laughs) come and chat to us about his book. So, always a pleasure. Here we are, seven years moving moving forward into year eight. Uh, unless there's anything else from you.
0: Uh, no, since you took the outro from me, you can take the rest of it too.
1: There we go then. That is all the time we have for today. No more outro for Jan. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really helps us get to... Maybe year 8, who knows. <laughs> we are on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell, you can comment, you can do all the YouTube things. You can also go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and you can send your feedback to podcast at RoaringElephant.org. Until next time, my name is can we really do eight years dave
0: and my name is there can never be enough birthday cake <laughs> and
1: we look forward to talking to you next week Goodbye. see you then